Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. to be back witches if you are out there I hope you are doing so good I feel like I have forgotten how to podcast if I'm really honest I've been a little bit nervous about coming back I'm not sure why but I've missed this so much it is good to be back so welcome to season three of the white witch podcast I remember coming on to season two of the podcast and referencing Jay-Z's song saying, allow me to reintroduce myself. And once again, that sentiment comes up again today and is also the influence of this episode and much of what's coming up, which we will get into after our book review. Our book review today is Winterwood, written by Shea Earnshaw. How I adore this book. You might recall one of my favourite books from before of Shea's was The Wicked Deep, which if you are looking for a good autumnal spooky witchy book, that one I cannot recommend highly enough. Here is the blurb from Winterwood. Be careful of the dark, dark wood especially the woods surrounding the town of Fairhaven. Some say these woods are magical, cursed even. Rumoured to be a witch, only Nora Walker knows the truth. She and the Walker women before her have always shared a special connection with the woods. And it's this special connection that leads Nora to Oliver Huntsman, the same boy who disappeared from the camp for wayward boys weeks ago. And in the middle of the worst snowstorm in years, he should be dead, but here he is alive and left in the woods with no memory of the time he'd been missing. But Nora can feel an uneasy shift in the woods at Oliver's presence. And it's not too long after that, Nora realises she has no choice but to unearth the truth behind how the boy she has come to care so deeply about survived his time in the forest and what led him there in the first place. What Nora doesn't know, though, is that Oliver has secrets of his own, secrets he'll do anything to keep buried, because, as it turns out, he wasn't the only one who went missing on that fateful night all those weeks ago. For as long as there have been fairy tales, we have been warned to fear what lies within the dark, dark woods. 
Now, firstly, I adore Shea's writing style from the way she dedicates the book to all those with wild hearts through to her dramatic, very descriptive style. Her books are fairy tales for adults and I'm completely here for it. Absolute escapism at its finest. I love Nora, the main character in this book, so much and her lineage of witches and all their quirky witchy talents. Her cottage out in the middle of the magical woods and her dog who could possibly be a wolf. This book is filled with mystery. I couldn't even have guessed the ending if I tried. It is full of twists and turns. There are moments of complete hopelessness, tons of magic. You can feel the deep solitude at times of Nora, who is very much a witch who is used to her own company until severe weather conditions in the woods lead to all manner of characters entering her life. I'll read you just a snippet of the first chapter, just so you can get a taste of Shea's beautiful writing style. Never waste the full moon, Nora, even in winter, my grandmother used to say. We'd wander up the Black River under a midnight sky, following the constellations above us like a map I could trace with my fingertips, imprints of stardust on my skin. She would hum a melody from deep within her belly, gliding sure-footed across the frozen river to the other side. Can you hear it? she'd ask. The moon is whispering your secrets. It knows your darkest thoughts. My grandmother was like that, strange and beautiful, with stories resting just behind her eyelids. Stories about moonlight and riddles and catastrophes, dreadful tales, but bright, cheery ones too. Walking beside her, I mirrored each step she took into the wilderness, in awe of how swiftly she avoided stinging nettles and poison buckthorns, how her hands traced the bark of every tree we passed, knowing its age just by touch. She was a wonder, her chin always tilted to the sky, craving the anemic glow of moonlight against her olive skin a storm always brewing along her edges. Peppered throughout the book are pages from Nora's family spellbook called Spellbook of Moonlight and Forest Medicine, where we hear of her ancestors and their spells and powers that just adds more weight to the story and more mysticism. Nora has all these powerful women witches that she has descended from, yet isn't aware of any of her own power. And of course, this story takes us on a journey with her own internal battles. Oliver and Nora's connection is so beautiful and wholesome. Shea Earnshaw has a way of writing tales that fill your heart up with magic and hope and take you away from the mundane world. And that ending, this is the first time I have cried at a book for a long time. A long, long time. I bought the book in a second-hand hardback copy and it's 
stunning. The artwork on the dust sheet and the actual book itself are gorgeous, as are the family spellbook pages. This is long going to be a story that stays with me. Even writing this review, I have this sentimental appreciation and love for this book. The perfect book to nestle down and hibernate with this autumn winter. I cannot recommend it enough. Before we head into section two of the podcast, on the topic of books, I just want to let you know, me and Rachel have just released our third zin, our little booklet, The Hedge Witch's Book of Shadows over on Etsy. So The Hedge Witch's Book of Shadows takes us on a journey into the darker side of the witch's path, a foray into shadow work, creating your book of shadows, preparing for Samhain in the form of traditional recipes and delving into how the Celts celebrated the Sabbath. As the veil thins with this darker half of the year, we take a look at tassiography, so tea leaf reading, pendulums, the psychic witch and how to open the door to embrace the psychic powers we hold within. Of course, we had to write on the two great queen goddesses associated with this season, the Morrigan and Nick Nethan, their lore, and how you might wish to work with them should you hear them call. Our Woodland Path to the Shadows section covers the Black Fawn, the Beech, and the Elm. In our Witches of Weather section, we tell tales of the sailors and wind-tying charms and understand how to work with fog, mist and storms within our craft. Our booklet looks in detail at the element of earth, deep autumn and grounding. We take a walk into the witch's poison garden, outlining the history and uses of belladonna and foxglove. Illustrations are peppered throughout our vintage style zins. So take us by the hand, fellow witch, and let's walk this crooked path together. It's £8 a copy and we ship them out all over the world. We are a bestseller and five-star rated seller on Etsy for our zins. You can find us on Etsy under the Hedgewitch Company, and I will put a link into the show notes. Join me after the break when we talk all about the serpent. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. 
So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Welcome back. So when I was coming to the end of season two, I just needed to disappear for a bit. I felt like I had hit against a wall mental health-wise, but as I get used to my patterns, I start to realize this is always where a form of development or awakening comes from, because it is essentially shedding that old version of ourselves. So this has started to pass for me in regards to the mental health struggles that I was experiencing at that time. And I'm now learning that this is often when we are on the brink of huge change. It was also strangely a time when my ego started to really rear up. And that's really not something that I've experienced in full force for a while. So this episode is going to be quite random, as will most of this season, to be honest. I'm sure that you are used to that with this podcast. I think I'm done with playing it safe on some topics. I think that I would like to go harder on aspects like shadow work, 5D ascension, spicy psychology topics, some areas that I've been stuck in a rabbit hole with involve like inner child work, self-concept, starseeds, ayahuasca, And of course, a shit ton of witchcraft, because that's what we are here for. So let me take things back a bit to how life has been. We came out of August, and I don't think that I'm wrong on this, but that full moon in Pisces and the Mercury retrograde affected more people than I'm used to. At a real deep level, I felt the lowest I'd felt to the point it took me back to how I felt at my dark night of the soul beginning around six years ago. And it frightens me, to be honest. I fell off the wagon completely with substances. That has been a long time coming. It was brief. I nipped it in the bud. I... I'm not beating myself up for it. I'm not proud of it, but I'm not trying to label it as bad or use any negative words to describe it because that's just not opening up space for me to look after myself, heal myself. When we are in that place, we have to realize that we are disconnected. So we will often seek out behaviors that we feel we can numb us out. But of course, this only increases the disconnect. In my humble experience, if you face a setback like this, and the darker and deeper you end up with the rock bottom, the bigger the ascension at the end of it. I couldn't put my finger on what was wrong at all, but I did spend a month sitting in that energy I did other things, obviously, I had to work, you know, I have a child and did all the other things. And this episode is what I wanted to delve into as a result. And I hope that you might resonate with. Much of this episode relates to the serpent and its energy. The serpent and the witch share a lot in common. Often misunderstood, yet eerily beautiful, they both face the world in defiance of those who fear them. Snakes undulate with magical allure, 
Serpents tap into the deepest parts of us, the things we fear yet cannot look away from. The serpent slivers through almost every ancient form of worship and magic across the world, viewed as a symbol for enlightenment, healing and the divine. The snake is linked to primal energy and the power of transformation and rebirth. They regenerate from the inside out by shedding old, uncomfortable layers that no longer serve them. The snake must shed literally its skin or die, and the need to shed their skin is as a result of their own growth, which seems so related to us on our spiritual journeys. Consider what you are holding on to that needs to be let go of. Relationships, habits, beliefs, fears, emotions. When this burst of growth occurs, it means we need to shed an old version of ourselves. And it often comes with something new, an awakening or shift in awareness. And when this happens, there is also the need to pause for a moment and integrate the lesson before moving on. I absolutely resonate with that and needed to do the same before I came back for season three. I just felt so different and I had to get used to some of these changes. As painful as letting go of what restricts us can sometimes be, it is what allows us to thrive, survive and grow. We can shed our negative energies to see the world anew as we grow. Within the human psyche, to shed the skin is meaningful of deep, powerful and irreversible change. As the snake stays close to the ground, we are reminded to stay grounded as we move through changes. Connect with a snake's energy and be conscious of going with the flow. Accept change and do all you can to embrace it coming your way. The snake reminds us to be flexible and adapt to our situation with its ever patient and waiting nature. So the Irish Celts looked to the beasts of the earth, sky and sea to find teachers, friends and healers. Along with this fascination and almost worship of animal symbols, the Irish Celts revered nature itself, be it in the form of plants, animals or elements. They believed the animals were there to teach us how to live in harmony with nature itself. Through animal symbols, the Irish Celts sought to commune with both the seen and the unseen. Celtic animal designs took a myriad of forms and meaning. The graceful curves of the crane, the stalwart might of the bull, the slow, coiled menace of the snake. The early Celts believed that animals arose from the fantastic otherworld, whence come the elves and fairies. With their feats of flying, swimming, phenomenal speed, keen sight and smell and great strength, these messengers of the gods seemed beyond the power of man. We can see this tie to nature not only in early Celtic crafts, but also in later Irish art. In the greatest example of medieval illuminated manuscripts, the Book of Kells, the four evangelists were frequently depicted as Celtic animal symbols. Matthew the man, Mark the lion, Luke the calf and John as the eagle. Elite Irish families used animal symbolism on their coats of arms. 
and pubs often took their names from animals renowned for their strength. The main snake in Celtic mythology was the adder. Druids and bards alike considered this creature as one bearing great wisdom and spiritual awareness. In fact, it's said that druids carried adder eggs as a magical charm for power, alchemical insights and journeying to other realms. The Celtic symbolism for the snake has association with the elements of earth. The Celtic snake both protected the entrance to the other world and acted as the god's companion, but also represented the connection between the rivers and seas as well as the heavens and earth. Ouroboros, the earth serpent, represented the coiled energy within the earth and with her tail in her mouth, infinity, Thanks to the annual shedding of its skin, the snake was the Celtic animal symbolising the cyclical nature of life. The Celtic zodiac associates snake with the sacred primordial male energies. It wasn't unusual to see warriors bearing items with a two-headed snake for deadly strength in battle. In some cultures, snakes are highly regarded and symbolize the ability to transcend into higher levels of consciousness or into areas of knowledge that exist outside perceived time and space. In the pre-Christian days, snakes were considered symbols of fertility, healing and nurturing, the healing serpent representing a god. Post-Adam and Eve, snakes are often considered symbols of temptation and evil, anger and envy. Another motif is rebirth or renewal. This creature has the ability to shed its old skin when it grows. The casting off of this skin metaphorically represents the release of old ways of thinking that don't work in our lives. The fresh new skin found underneath is rebirth and new beginnings, purification. The serpent was considered an immortal creature that came to life each year with a new skin. The Celts believed serpents slivered up from the inside of the earth and they held all of the world's secrets and divine wisdom. The serpent was the Celtic people's earth healer but later turned into the christian symbol for the devil and paganism snakes or nahash in the irish language are not native to my side of the world and never were yet this reptilian creature is synonymous with the story of ireland the most famous of the snake stories is that of saint patrick banishing them from ireland's shores it is sometimes said that he was attacked upon the holy mountain of Patrick by snakes and thus rid the island forever of their menace. From a more critical analysis of this tale, it is actually believed that the snakes were a metaphor for the pagan customs of Old Ireland as Patrick set about on a rather zealous mission to convert the country to Christianity. Before that era, the Celts of continental Europe worshipped the serpent god Nahash, still in use as the word for snake in Irish. We all know my pronunciation needs to get in the bin, but I'm trying. And there are many legends here alluding to battles fought against large snake-like creatures 
more associated with water than land. These beasts, as monstrous as they were said to be, were known as Pest, the Irish for worm. It is said that Finn McCall battled many of the large snake-like creatures throughout the land and lakes of Ireland. The snake also appears in decorative form in ancient jewellery, such as the Tara brooch, where the pin is fashioned from a serpentine shape. The snake has long been associated with wisdom, reincarnation and cunning. The poisonous adder of the British Isles has the same reputation. The Druids were known in Wales as Nadred. I believe that's how it's pronounced. I really tried to find the pronunciation, so I apologise. In the fold of the bards, Tallianson says, I am a wise man, I am a serpent. The Druids carried an amulet called Glenna Nahash, serpent glass, Although they said that this was formed by snakes, it was probably really an adder stone or blown glass. In the Scottish Highlands, the adder was said to symbolise the kayak's power. Both the serpent and the dragon were ancient symbols of life, fertility, wisdom and immortality for the Celts. Ancient Celtic ornamental work is entwined with serpents and dragons, the Celtic knot can be seen as a never-ending serpent. A large stone with a carved serpent is found at the sacred cairn sites of Noth. The megalithic structure of Brugna Bon has multiple serpent-like spirals on the entrance stone. In Scotland, there is the earthen serpent at Glentheahan Loch Nell. The Pictish Abelemno serpent stone is engraved with a serpent and other symbols. The torque collar, a symbol of kingship and status, was created in the form of a hybrid horned dragon slash snake. The serpent was connected to healing pools and springs, and the druids believed the serpent had healing powers, together with a certain type of egg-shaped stone called a serpent's egg. The primal connection of goddess to serpent to earth was alive all across the ancient world. Cora, the great serpent goddess of Ireland and Scotland, was probably there before the Milesians, the ancestors of the current day Celts, arrived. She was probably there before the Tuatha de Danann arrived. Cora, whose name is almost forgotten today, embodied the earth, calling forth the serpents of life, death and rebirth to twine the magic of eternity around the lives of our ancestors. Cora is of the earth and yet she can also transform into a crane, symbolising the transformation of body to spirit on our journey through the great cycle of life. Her ancient stories are lost to us today. The only story that survives is the one in which St. Patrick kills her and drives the snakes from Ireland. And again, we've touched on this earlier. Since there were no snakes in Ireland, this story is certainly a mythopoetic one, illustrating the triumph of Christianity over the old religion, the Druids and the worship of Korah. 
So in the story, St. Patrick chases Cora all across Ireland to the final battle at Loch Derg. Loch Derg was an important religious site for the old religion with several islands in the lake. A prehistoric mound is visible on Station Island, where today a Christian basilica and popular retreat sanctuary are prominent. The more northerly islands, Saints Island, was the most important site of pilgrimage for the early Christians. It was a purgatory centre and housed the original priory of the lake. In one version of the story, when Cora faced down St. Patrick at Loch Derg, she swallowed him whole. So, as Mercia Eliadi noted in Rites and Symbols of Initiation, being swallowed by the snake can be seen as a return to the womb and a complete regeneration of the initiate through his gestation and birth by the Great Mother. So St. Patrick passed two days and two nights within Cora, cutting his way out and killing her in the process. The water of the lake turned red with her blood and her body turned to stone. These stones were seen jutting out of the lake near to Saints Island and became part of the penitent experience of purgatory. The cave of the purgatory reflects yet another pagan association with the story. It corresponds to the long-practiced old European tradition of incubation or temple sleep, a far cry from purgatory where the dead go to suffer from their sins before being allowed into heaven. Sacred caves were used by initiates to enter the other world, meet their ancestors and gain knowledge and wisdom to bring back to a renewed life. Generally, serpents were associated with these caves and with the initiation experience. The cave of St. Patrick's Purgatory might well have been a dream cave used in pagan initiation ceremonies. It might well have been a cave where worshippers of the old religion went to meet the Celtic great serpent goddess Cora, thus gaining wisdom and deep knowledge of the never-ending cycle of life. Cora calls you to honour your place as a child of the goddess, to rejoice in the beauty of physical life on earth, to dive deep and then to surface and to accept the ever-changing, transformative nature of life as you move through its cycles from birth to death to rebirth. The snake is a symbol of transformation and healing. Anytime a snake shows up as a totem, you can expect death and rebirth to occur in some area of your life. This rarely reflects an actual death, but rather a transition. Look for change in conditions and a movement to new life. Examine what is going on around you. Are you needing to make changes but aren't for some reason? Are you trying to force change too quickly? Are you striking out at people and shouldn't? Are you not striking and should? What is needing to be healed? And what new opportunities are surfacing that you need to strike out for and take advantage of? 
Snakes have speed and agility. So those who have snakes come into their life will usually find the changes and shifts occur quickly and are soon recognized and defined. When snake comes into your life, you can look for a rebirth into new powers of creativity and wisdom. Snakes awaken spiritual and magical intuition in the person who chooses this totem or is chosen by it. Snakes are associated with unseen creative forces at work. With a snake totem, the powers of intuition and observation become keener and more precise. As snakes represent change and intuition, the combination of these characteristics will allow for great new developments in life and the proper instinct for deciding which changes will be effective and which should not be made. They represent openness to new experiences and thus opened horizons. One of snakes' most noticeable characteristics is the regular shedding of its outer skin as it grows. Once the skin is shed, the old inner layer becomes the new outer layer and a new inner layer of skin begins to develop. Crawling out of its old skin is very significant for those with this medicine. It is a metaphor for how we shed old ways and habits as we grow into higher spiritual energy, symbolizing the death and rebirth process. It is also associated with astral travel and out-of-body experiences. The eyes of a snake are always open, protected by immobile, transparent scales. Prior to shedding its skin, the snake's markings become obscure and the eyes appear opaque or blue. This gives it a trance-like appearance as if it is looking right through you, learning how to see into the hearts of others is part of what it teaches us. Snake has been a symbol of life and sexuality for thousands of years in many cultures. It is a totem of power, renewal and transmutation. Snakes lack eardrums and external ear openings, but have small bones in the head that conduct sound. They are able to hear low frequency sounds and sense vibrations that travel through the earth. And this links them to the underworld where secrets are stored. The snake symbolizes healing on a cellular level. The snake, the snake, oh God. The snake is the totem animal of prophets. Take a shot for every time that you hear me say snake. So it's no accident that the staffs of Asclepios, Hermes and Moses were embellished with snakes. <laughs> the snake. Over the centuries, magical divining women from the Minoan snake goddess to Mary Laveau have danced with serpents. There is even a traditional divination system that interprets the movements of snakes. snakes. Because snakes are the repository of Earth's wisdom, there are many reasons why one would wish to communicate with them. 
Snakes are among people's primary magical teachers and are invoked in spells for childbirth, fertility, healing, protection, and financial well-being. That said, it may be easier for most people for a variety of reasons to access that knowledge through visions rather than actual contact. So by no means am I encouraging anyone to go out and get a snake in any way whatsoever. The snake's skin has long been used within witchcraft, mainly for spells relating to new beginnings. As put simply, it represents shedding of an old life and the beginning of a new one, especially after a period of stagnation. Also used within spells relating to renewal, change and banishing someone or something from your life. The snake in witchcraft and the occult is a symbol of power and adding snakeskin to spell work is said to increase its potency. The smooth ethereal movement of the snake invokes the image of ancient dance rituals and feminine movement and you may wish to use images of the serpent in charms to enhance grace and dark beauty. In divination and vision work, seeing a snake, particularly during a dark moon phase, is said to suggest deception. If the snake image appears to you regularly, it's a message to pay attention to your intuition. A powerful symbol within magic, using the image of the snake in your meditations is said to help enhance your trance state. It's an ideal focal point for moving through difficult feelings and regaining your power. The snake has association with deities such as Hecate, Isis, Lilith, Medusa, Angisha and Cretan. The scent of lavender allegedly invokes the spiritual presence of serpents and the legendary serpent spirits. Here is how to use it. So place an image on your altar, either of a snake or an affiliated deity, perhaps the Minoan serpent goddess, for instance. Surround this with fresh lavender or warm the essential oil in an aroma burner. Call the spirit and be prepared to explain why you have issued the invitation. Do the spell before bedtime to apparently receive a visitation in your dreams. Alternatively, you can burn yarrow. Yarrow smoke allegedly stimulates visions of snakes. Burn yarrow and allow the smoke to permeate the area and have your questions ready. It is said that should you see a snake while on a shamanic journey, prepare to shed something in favour of something greater and better. In some forms of hoodoo and folk magic, snakeskin is dried and then ground into a fine powder, sometimes referred to as snake dust. You can either do this or you can use a full piece of snakeskin. In the American South, it is believed apparently that rubbing a bit of snakeskin on your hands can keep you from dropping things. Another legend is that if you carry it in your pocket, it will bring you good luck. So artist and author Sarah Ann Lawless 
quotes. In European folk magic, snake sheds and other bits can be used for healing and fertility amulets. I just got a little image of a little shed that a snake has, you know, a little shed, like potting shed kind of thing. Sorry. Anyway, and fertility amulets, as well as any charms or tools having to do with other worldly travel. Snakes are sacred to many deities, and she likes to add powdered snake sheds, <laughs> sorry, to incense burned to invoke these deities. And apparently other deities that she quotes that are linked to the snake are also Dambala, Hecate, Hermes, Legba, Papa Legba, Odin. Yes, I need to stop thinking about snakes living in little sheds, sorry. If you associate snakes with change and transformation, I've just been serious for too long now. If you associate snakes with change and transformation, since they shed their outer layer of skin to reveal a shiny new one, it seems very fitting to use it for transformational spell work. So use in spells or rituals to help you reinvent yourself into a new, better, stronger person. You might want to try using snake skin in a spell to help you get over something, allowing you to move on from past mistakes or shed a bad relationship or unhealthy habit. Maybe make a poppet to represent yourself and fill it with little things that remind you of the baggage you're carrying with you. So, for example, they've given like letter clippings, wadded up photos, anything small enough to fit. Wrap the snakeskin around the poppet as you focus on releasing and shedding the negative feelings. Do this every night for a week, and when the new moon rolls around, take the skin off again and bury it. I like that idea. So where to get snake skins for spell work? So it's said to find or be given a snake skin is considered a sign from the divine that something in your life must be changed. Naturally shed snake skins are a powerful item for use in spell work. Of course, the best snake skins to use in your craft are the ones that you find yourself, obviously dependent on where you live in the world. It might be that you are in a country and they are wild and you find them in your garden or on walks in nature. The rare experience of finding a snake skin yourself charges the item with magical energy and leaves the impression of your experience on it, making it intrinsically connected to you. Collecting snake skins from a friend who keeps a snake is also an excellent option. However, if neither of these opportunities presents themselves, you can also find high quality, responsibly collected snake skins online. The snake represents to me outgrowing your old skin and old life a gritty, dark experience that can include looking at the parts of yourself that you might find hard to acknowledge. But ironically, the snake's eyes are forever open, always aware of what's going on. And of course, we've also touched on the fact that the more a snake grows, the more they shed their skin. So for me, I felt like I have had many, many snake skin sheds 
But this recent one, I must have like turned into the crone of snakes. And maybe there's something poignant in that happening straight after I hit 40, as of course it is seen like one of the big markers in life. But you might find these happen to you at other landmark ages or times in your life. So in regards to emotions that I have experienced with like some of the transitional times of late, kind of like wanted to explain where I found myself in this process, explain what I've been doing and see if you can relate. I don't know, it might be that, you know, you feel like you want to try any of these things. Trust me, none of this process has been glamorous at all. So if it sounds like I am (laughs) super disciplined and on it, I guess I have been, but if you were to watch like a montage or like this in real life, it looks like, (laughs) oh, it looks like a car crashing very, very slowly. Um, And then I'll explain what I discovered in relation to some of this process and ascension and so on. So firstly, obviously I'm like in a very liminal space at the moment. I've decided to move up north it's not even up north it's the midlands but for me you need a passport to get past peckham as a southern softie this is a massive decision for me so i've gone from months and months and months of reading purely witchy fiction to inhaling self-development books and content obsessively i meditated more i worked on more rituals divination and journeying to feel more connected to spirit I also fell in love. Don't worry, we're still on a dating band. There's no, there's nobody on that front. We are not looking, not with anyone. It actually didn't fall in love with anyone, but I fell in love with weightlifting. Who knew when I was in the depths of wanting to put my head in the oven, I decided to join the gym, not for anything to do with my body, purely for my mind just to see if I could do something about how I was feeling this was a number of weeks ago and I invested in a personal trainer which was the best thing I ever did just one session a week it is not a lot of money at all even when I thought of the concept of hiring a personal trainer I thought oh that's you know that's a big thing that's going to be expensive but you will be really surprised so if you've never considered it but you really want to do it honestly it is worth looking into and I swear when I lifted that first weight I think it was when I got onto the smithy machine my pupils dilated my body was like yes this and my whole life has now become witchcraft and weights, eating protein and sleeping. And I'm now working towards starting boxing. Who knew? Like, I mean, come on, it could have been darts. After a lifelong love of women boxers, MMA, I don't know, it doesn't even like correlate to the rest of my life. Like, I'm a lover, not a fighter, genuinely. But it's something just that feels so powerful. My body like loves it. Um, my granddad was a boxer back, back, back in the day in like the 60s in the depths of Bow, East London. And I've always like loved the whole feel of boxers. Not, 
I haven't been feeling up boxers. Sorry, I've loved the whole concept of boxing. It's always been something I've wanted to try. But if you'd have told me a couple of months ago, this would have been things that I'd be getting up to now. I would never have believed you. And this is also, I can't even believe I'm going to say this as well. This has made me fall in love with my body because weights really do not make you look like Mrs. Trunchbull, honestly. The weight has fallen off of me and I've never felt more connected to my body. Like my mind feels stronger. I'm addicted to the feeling of after a workout and how my body feels but it's also helped my diet as my body just craves healthier food and my metabolism is better. The only part of my body getting bigger is my bunda after lifting like 60 kgs on hip thrusts. And I'm here for that. And I'm now going to be that boring person who like bores my friends and family about what weights I've lifted. And I'm really sorry for that if you were listening, but I am so happy and in love with it. And I've never ever found a physical activity that I have felt this about. Like it's become a, it's a different concept to myself because I'm now like this gym rat and I've never ever seen myself like that. And I've had to step into a new identity and accept that I'm now becoming that person and this is what I love and it's kind of a lot to integrate and get used to but I am buzzing like if you get me talking about witchcraft I'm buzzing now there's also weights so that was the body side and alongside this I tackled some deep level counseling with Sue who I'm sure some of you heard you came on the podcast and we started some inner child work on my biggest first core wound relating to shadow work so that's some like deep level changes going on so there is a reason why I'm like filling you in on what I've been up to okay because if you find yourself shedding an old skin you might resonate with some of this or you may be even going through it now I think you will know where I'm going with some of the updates I've given you on my life as here are some signs of Kundalini awakening I discovered later on in the process of my own. So things are falling apart in your life, anxiety or depression episode comes up, you have an urge to try new things your intuition becomes stronger, you start making life-changing decisions, again, hence the moving thing and, you know, all the different activities I'm doing. Unexpected favours happen for you, help comes from others or random synchronicities. So Kundalini awakening is said to be a state you obtain when you change from within, your perception changes and so do your feelings. There is a ton you can look into in relation to Kundalini energy. I decided not to go too deep on this aspect today because honestly, the chakras and Kundalini energy isn't really something that I've like integrated in my craft, but I know witches who absolutely do within their own practice. So you may want to go further down the rabbit hole on this front. We will get into an aspect of this on one of our episodes that links into ancient Celtic beliefs that you might be interested in. And again, this also ties back into the witch's hat and analogy that we talked about on the podcast before that I came across in Australia Taylor's book, Intuitive Witchcraft, 
which is based on Maslow's triangle. So to go further with some examples of shifting levels of consciousness. So you want to spend a lot of time alone. You are no longer in harmony with your old life, friendships or environment. Your previous life does not make sense. You are open to new ways of thinking and feeling. You feel a loss of fear or death. You experience the need for truth and authenticity. You experience a sudden increase in energy levels. You reinvent the relationship with yourself. Being alone or in silence no longer feels scary. Conversations with others will change or feel shallow. May bring you higher senses. Your intuition is stronger. You feel a strong need to move house, quit a job or move to a new place because your environment no longer feels right. Absolutely relate with that. You begin to experience manifestations on demand. Things come to you really quickly as you experience your new vibration. The world around feels different as though you stepped into a new reality. New relationships and abundance turn up seemingly out of nowhere. You feel confused and uncertain, but you know something is coming. So if you want to go even deeper on this, some signs that you are shifting into 5D consciousness are said to be, you see synchronicities, i.e. repetitive numbers, signs and patterns that get your attention. You're reevaluating everything in your life. So career, relationships, values, and even your sense of self. You're seeking a deeper meaning and purpose in your life. Surface level pleasures and stimulation is no longer enough. You may have a newfound interest or obsession with spirituality. You're reading books, blogs and watching or listening to content about spirituality, esotericism, witchcraft, whatever your bag is. It feels confusing, sometimes scary, and yet highly exciting and a time of personal transformation. And you know deep down intuitively something is coming. It's said that ascension isn't for the faint-hearted, and it happens when you commit to growth and self-healing. You might find yourself isolating, breaking down, and the old you dying as you go through this process. This is due to you constantly shifting your energy and embodying your higher self in your human vessel. You're breaking old patterns and healing old traumas. Each time you revisit them, you are learning something new. And this might be something you find via shadow work. The more light you embody through becoming aware of our darkness. And that's where the magic happens. If you are working on shadow work, I came across some ways you might want to try to let go of painful memories. And trust me, I'm such a work in progress on this front. So hopefully this can be something that we work on together. Before you let go, you must face what happened and accept it as one of your past experiences. Suppression will not work as a long term solution. You may want to address this through shadow work, perhaps writing about it in your journal, share what has happened in order to move on. Identify the lessons you have learned from what happened. 
there's always a lesson. So look for what you have learned. It might not make it feel better, but it takes away its power. You may want to write down what the lesson was on paper and repeat it to yourself if you are hit by painful memories. For example, if you are scarred by something, you could write something like, my experience of X, Y, Z does not determine who I am. I'm a stronger person now and that is not my destiny. I'm choosing my own future and the person I will be. This can then become a brilliant affirmation or mantra to work with and you might want to speak it often so that it can take root in your mind. Speak it strongly and give it power. Say it often till you mean it and this can help you to feel freer. Persevere with this when the old memories return. When the past memories try to intrude, try to focus on grounding yourself in the present. Breathe deeply and relax. You are in this moment and not living or in that past moment. So I recently listened to a podcast episode of the podcast Manifestation Babe on shadow work. This is a podcast that I've been listening to for a few years now. I will link it in the show notes. But she, like myself, and I know I've said this on the podcast before, she also believes that shadow work is the crucial link that can unlock a lot of your old beliefs and help you up-level to your next timeline. I always find once I go through some next level of shadow work, I've powered through a lot of beliefs that have been holding me back and then I can begin to shift into a new version of me. So on the episode, she describes shadow work as such and I love this. So remember when you were a kid and your parents or your caregiver wanted you to tidy your room before you could do something fun, but you really didn't want to. So you would just hide everything in your wardrobe under your bed It was like literally straining with all the crap in there. The room still stinks because you haven't cleaned it properly. All the rubbish is just hidden away. That for me is such a good analogy of life before shadow work because once you start actually picking up each thing, acknowledging it, maybe giving it a little clean, processing where you are going to put it to integrate it into your environment or yourself or deciding if you need to let it go or whatever you're going to do with it just the whole process of shadow work I feel like that is how shadow work is how can you add more to yourself if all of that is festering untouched and not acknowledged or processed you know, you might have still all this old crap in there, let's just say like old toys from when you were 10, but now you want new things and there's no bloody space for them. That's like how I like to see shadow work. I do have a full in-depth episode on shadow work if you want to look at that. And of course, her episode explains it a lot better than I have. So if you want to get into that, I will put a link for that episode of hers and also a couple of episodes that I've got out as well that I feel might help you work the process from the beginning. So coming back to recent life events, 
Obviously, there's been a lot of crying that I've been doing. My favorite pastime. I read that energy purging is really crucial. And obviously, at this time, I felt really overwhelmed with some dark, heavy emotions. If you feel like you are shedding a skin or if you are coming to shadow work this autumn, winter, you may likely experience the same. Energy cannot be created or destroyed. It simply changes states. Every emotion, energy emotion that is repressed, ignored, stored will continue to build a charge in your body and mind until we either explode with the emotion or experience an energetic blockage in the body. Some good ways to energy purge are to journal, create art, speak your truth, my favorite, crying, dancing, meditating, anything to get the emotions out in a healthy and constructive way. It raises your vibration and releases negative or dense energies. Evolving and transforming, when you are in this time of ascension, you might find you feel sadness, bouts of depression, numbness, anger, pain of a heartbreak, denial of the power within self, and basically a hollow feeling inside. These feelings can be upsetting and confusing, which is normal. You are going for a rebirth of your consciousness, What you are feeling right now are the stages of grief, grieving the death of the old you, the collapse of old timelines and timelines that were a part of you. It's good to allow yourself to grieve, feel the emotions and understand them, then let them go. I think this explains a lot of the crying that can come up at this time. It's almost like that concept of ignorance is bliss. I keep thinking of who I was, the version of me around my birthday. And I did often think, I wish I could just go back to her again. Like nothing was that complicated. She was quite content and happy. But I know I can't. I have to push on until something makes sense. Some of the work I have been doing is around beliefs and self-concepts, which I will fully get into on another episode To be honest, some of this work has been so overwhelming, both mentally, spiritually, and emotionally. At times, I get this little voice in my head that just goes, oh, sod this, like, let's go back to what we used to do instead. But I've still opted to just carry on. I feel like, in a way, I'm tired of my old ways of living and holding myself back. I love that old version of me and every version of me that has existed because They are the bridge that leads us to where we are now. Without them, we wouldn't be who we are today. So if you can bear with me on this, because it does get a little bit confusing, but one of the things that I found really good to do in terms of self-concept and creating this new version of yourself is meeting with future you. So in terms of balance, I have been journeying to meet with the little version of myself in relation to shadow work and the like. And I have also been journeying forward to meet with my future self or some say your higher self. You might want to just do one of these. You can do two to balance between 
working on shadow work, but also by meeting the future version of you, like alternating between the two, it creates balance. But I feel like it also gives you incentive to do the work because it's almost like you see a glimpse of who you could become. You get more familiar with who you want to become and how to become that person. So you might find that you want to journey to meet with the future version of you and perhaps to meet with them, to have a conversation with them, to understand what it is you might want to do to become that version of you. So anytime you meet the future or higher self version of you, it's a case of you can often pick up information, inspired action that perhaps hasn't even occurred to you where you are on your timeline now. So perhaps journey forward to meet them, see what they have achieved, what have they let go of, what environment are they in? Because ultimately, this will be where you wish to be. You can ask them multiple questions, such as what did they do to get there? What would they do to advise you now? Like how to deal with such and such a situation you've got going on currently? You could journey forward to see what the state of play is with some relationships in your life. Are they healed? Have they been cut off? I promise you, here you will understand what needs to happen and what your soul is truly trying to convey is for you. You can also speak with them about decisions or advice you might need to take or make in the present now, because ultimately your higher self will always want the best for you. And they will give you perhaps an answer you might not want to hear, but ultimately they know it's in your best interest. I love meeting my future self. She has this amazing home. So it's given me insight into obviously what I'm looking for when I relocate. She lives in gym outfits. She's fit. She's the epitome of who I'm going to become. And she's not scared of telling me some home truths, but in a nourishing way that I can respond to. She is me, just a version of me I haven't met yet. The more I meet her, the more I see of how she's living and what she's like, and the more I want it. So you know what that makes me do, like get my ass up and go to the gym and lift some weights every other day, you know, be that person that's focusing on my diet, focusing on my work, not reconnecting with people from the past, you know, trusting in the silence, like staying on my white horse, remembering that no one is coming to save me and they don't need to either because I have got this and so have you. Anyway, that's a lot. I know I'm rambling on and on, but you can talk to both your inner child and future self as separate entities. This can also help you have a better empathy and do what you need to do in order to take care of yourself. You can also, if you choose to, see all of you together as a little family unit too when you go on your journeys, which I love the concept of. So I almost see it like I go back to little me working on shadow work, self-care, just reminding her that I love her, I've got her back. And then I go to future me 
for me to reconnect with who I'd like to become, like to bridge the gap between where I am now and where I'd like to get to. But sometimes she soothes me here in the present. So it's like covering all angles. So if you stayed with me through that, I hope that helps. That's the best way I can explain it. So I'm just going to finish up now with uh, some words or a poem that I found that I think is a perfect example of this shedding an old skin. You will become a graveyard of all the women you once were before you rise one morning embraced by your own skin. You will swallow a thousand different names before you taste the meaning held within your own. And that's by Pavana. Ah, that was a lot. So I just want to let you know over on my Patreon, the White Witch Coven, if you sign up this month, we have a Samhain get together this Thursday, 27th of September at 8 p.m. UK time. We will be telling ghost stories and discussing what our witchy plans for the Sabbath are, a general get together. If you are in the UK and want to join the Patreon and come along for a witchy event we are getting together for in Colchester, Essex, there are details on Patreon for that too. On Patreon, you also get three Hedgewitch studies a month, a folklore retelling, meditation or shamanic journey, Patreon podcast episode, a workshop or witchy gathering online and access to the Literary Witches Coven alongside tons and tons of pages of grimoire sheets from season two of the podcast onwards, which basically fill a whole A4 jumbo ring binder. Like there's tons in there. One of our lovely ladies in the Patreon put together a whole book of it and it is huge. And you can also read along with us in the Literary Witches Coven this month. We are reading Baba Yaga's Book of Witchcraft, written by Madame Pamita. I just want to say, I know I did disappear for a little bit before coming back for season three. But whatever happens, I will never just be on Patreon. I will always, always have free content out there, the podcast. I'm never going to disappear and just do Patreon. So... And a few of you asked about that, but honestly, I will always have free content out there. I will always want to connect with all of you. So yes, don't ever think that I'm just going to be on Patreon. That's never the case. <sighs> that is all I have for you today, witches. I will be back next week. I've got so many things lined up that I'm so excited for, for you to listen to. And it's taken me a little while to get them together. Different people coming on. There is so much planned. I just want to say thank you for listening. Thank you for, you know, obviously, if you've come back to listen to the podcast, thank you for bearing with me. I know I've been gone for a little while, but thank you for having me. And I'll catch up with you all next week. Lots and lots of witchy love. Mm-hmm.